This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. With just a month until the federal election, it seems to be shaping up to be a very tight race. What's it going to take for one party to pull ahead from the rest? We'll discuss that with our Zoomer election panel. Plus, this week, Jews around the world observed Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and the Pope captivated North Americans with his vision of a more forgiving world. Just how important is forgiveness to our health and happiness? I'll talk to Toronto psychotherapist Andrea Moses. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. A price tag has been put on the cost of aging in Canada. A new study by the Conference Board of Canada says it would cost the federal government $3.3 billion in the next year to implement three strategies to cope with the wave of aging Zoomers. The report says that price would increase to $17.5 billion within five years. The strategies involve giving the provinces more money based on the age of their populations, paying for the cost of medications for households that spend more than $1,500 a year, and making caregiver tax credits refundable. Here's very good news for any Zoomer who suffered a heart attack. A new study finds that sex is unlikely to trigger a second one. The study, published in the Journal of the American College of Cardiology, looked at more than 500 heart attack survivors over 10 years. Researchers found no higher risk of a second cardiac event in people who had sex weekly compared to those who were celibate. Researchers say sex is unlikely to be a trigger for a heart attack since in terms of exertion it's comparable to climbing two staircases or taking a brisk walk. A Japanese uber-zoomer has set a land speed record. 105-year-old Hidekichi Miyazaki ran 100 meters in just over 42 seconds at an event in Osaka. That's a new world record in the over 105 age category. Miyazaki is no stranger to the Japanese track and field community. In fact, he's nicknamed the Golden Bolt because he sometimes mimics Usain Bolt's famous victory pose. It ain't over till it's over. A nickel ain't worth a dime anymore. And if the world were perfect, it wouldn't be nice. These are just a few of the famous quips attributed to Yogi Berra. The legendary New York Yankee passed away this week at the age of 90. He was one of baseball's most famous and beloved players, both on and off the field. On the field, he played in more World Series games than any other Major League player and was a three-time American League MVP. Off the field, it was his yogiisms that brought him attention. When asked about the quirky lines, he once said, I don't really know why I say them. It just comes out. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. 
Many people thought this week's French language debate would be a defining moment in the federal election campaign. But afterwards, the polling numbers showed the three parties still virtually tied, with the Liberals at 32 percent, the NDP at 31, and the Conservatives at 29 percent. To make sense of it all, I'm here with our Zoomer election panel. Nick Nanos of Nanos Research, Jane Brown, Morning News anchor and associate news director, and Dale Goldhawk, host of Goldhawk Fights Back. I thought the debate was rather um, interesting, even though it was being translated for us uh, English speakers. A lot of passion in it and emotion here and there. Uh, The kneecap, of course, got talked about for a, a reasonable uh, amount of time, uh, one assumes. But um, I I found it a little more interesting uh, overall than the economic debate. Uh, Jane? Well, I think it's it's interesting that the niqab is becoming more important, or at least more visible in terms of an election issue than the economy. And Stephen Harper must be loving it, because it will only play well for him in Quebec, where his support is now up. Uh, versus Tom Mulcair's support, which is down. Nick, do you think the niqab really is going to be a ballot issue? It won't be a ballot issue, but you know what? It does move the numbers in favor of the Conservatives. We did see, as soon as the talk about the niqab started, uh, we saw a bit of positive movement for the Conservatives in Quebec. And, you know, the thing is, is for them, they're not looking for a major breakthrough in Quebec. They're looking just to pick up a few more ridings. If they can hold what they have and pick up a couple more ridings, I'm sure the Conservatives would be very happy. I was surprised that the clarity issue, which is the issue Tom Mulcair says he would allow Quebec to separate with a simple majority, 50% plus one, and that didn't seem to go very far. Uh, Nick, did that surprise you? Yeah, well, you know, the thing is, I expected uh, Justin Trudeau to be a little more aggressive on that front. You know, it, I think it would be fair to say that among all the different public policy issues, he's probably the most comfortable on issues related to uh, the federation and the role of the federal government and the referendum and stuff like that. And he didn't uh, he didn't go hard, as hard as we would think. But Mulcair and, was, I mean, he really stood his ground in terms of saying, I'm a federalist. And yes, this policy I would keep or put in place, but I was the guy in 1980 and I was the guy in 1995. Yeah, but that doesn't answer the question. So what? He, I mean, he was the guy. Yes, we give him that. But he's also the guy that would let the Federation go with one drunken vote, about 50 percent, which the Supreme Court has said no to. And all his protestations now about what a nationalist he is, is trying to, uh, without explaining himself, defend himself as being a true Canadian. I am particularly surprised, as you are, Libby, why this has not caught fire generally in the campaign. You know, Dale, to your point... A lot of this has to do with timing because, you know, the thing is, is if the Liberals go hard on this in Toronto and Ontario, where they need to push some of those soft new Democrat voters into the red column, I think them saying, you know, for one vote, this other guy, you know, you might like him, but he'd break up this country, would resonate. It's not a big issue in Quebec, but I think in Ontario, uh, it, could, uh, it could move the numbers. So maybe the Liberals are just keeping their powder dry till later on in the election where they can hope to have some type of significant run with this. Do you have a sense that even Stephen Harper didn't want to get into it because they are nervous about how it would play in Quebec? 
Well, you know, the thing is, is that a lot of the conservative support is uh, is nationalist too, right? So mm-hmm. it's a tough, I think for Stephen Harper, I think he was happy to uh, be on the stage, to be quiet, let the others fight amongst themselves, <laughs> and not engage a lot in order to get through it. Jane, one of the things that we've seen is that Justin Trudeau seems to be doing better. What's your impression of that? I think he uh, is starting to resonate with people who, who, as somebody who is qualified for the job. I think he is shaking that image that he's not ready yet to be prime minister. What's interesting, in the last three to four nights of tracking, Justin Trudeau on the preferred prime minister measure has been trending up. He's now exactly tied with uh, Stephen Harper, with Tom Mulcair, now in third place on the preferred prime minister front. And it speaks to what we were talking before, just little incremental pickups every day, the more they see the guy. And why do you think Mulcair is slipping, Nick? I think one of the reasons why he's slipping is because prior to the election, he was really built up as a Goliath slayer, right? It was like he's done a great job in the House of Commons. He's a former Liberal cabinet minister. He's going to do really well in the debates. And he has done reasonably well, but I don't think he exceeded expectations. And I think we're going to see kind of when we look at the orange team and the red team, you know, one goes up, the other one's going to go down. I think because half of their voters and both for both of those parties, would consider switching to the other at the drop of a hat. My sense is is that once either Justin Trudeau or Tom Mulcair, once one of them gets the upper hand, we might see the numbers move very fast, and then it's going to be interesting to see what happens in terms of conservative support. So, Nick, uh, what do you think will uh, turn out to be an important issue going forward? Well, I'm going to keep my eye on the TPP talks. The the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Partnership. Because the scuttlebutt is is that Canada's automotive industry could could take a significant hit and that is bad news for the conservatives because there are ridings in like St. Catharines, in Whitby, Oshawa, mm-hmm. you know, around the GTA. That could move votes in specific ridings uh, that the Tories really need to hold on to. The U.S. and Japan have made this little quiet deal that negates uh, parts of, of the North American Free Trade Agreement. And in the end, we will lose. Anything <laughs> else looking ahead to the next uh, week? I think uh, at some point the massive attack machines have to kick into gear because we're running out of runway. You know, the September is going to be behind us, and I think as soon as the uh, as soon as we hit October, I would expect a lot more advertising from all of the federal parties because uh, it'll be like uh, it'll be raining negativity from above. <laughs> we look forward to seeing what happens next. Thank you all. Thank you. Okay. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye bye. The leaders will square off again on Monday night in a Monk debate on the subject of foreign policy. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. If there's one thing we often get from politicians, it's apologies. But all too often, we know they're making them for all the wrong reasons. What's the right way to forgive? How can letting go of a grudge change your life? Therapist Andrea Moses will join me in just a moment. This week marked the Jewish Day of Atonement, the Muslim Eid, and Pope Francis's visit to the United States, events that brought the question of forgiveness to the fore. 
But beyond its religious significance, how does the process of forgiveness play out in our everyday lives, and how can we go about it? Andrea Moses is a Toronto psychotherapist who specializes in helping clients forgive themselves and those who have hurt them. We talked here in our Liberty Village studios. Things happen in people's lives that you say, move on, but the reality is you can't move on because it's kind of emotionally gripping you or choking you. So you really want to think about forgiveness as freeing yourself from uh, events that happened to you where you were victimized, where you didn't have the power to get what you wanted. And so it could, you know, vary from child abuse, spouse abuse, uh, partner dumping you, you know, your child, um, you know, being run over. Like it goes the full range of um, events that happen that are beyond your control. And people, what happens is you get stuck there and you keep reviewing it and reviewing it, whether consciously or unconsciously. And um, it keeps you stuck in the past as opposed to freeing yourself to move forward. How do you help people move forward? Well, the key is to um, get to what's underneath the rage. So you have to understand that rage is an automatic response. When you're wronged, it's sort of like a sword fight. If someone stabs you, you feel like stabbing them back. And so you want to get away from that desire for revenge to what's really going on underneath the surface. And so it's really about healing. And healing begins with understanding what's really bothering you. Like what exactly did the person do? So you have to own the vulnerable feelings. So what happens is people get stuck in rage because you feel powerful. Powerful. Oh, that so-and-so did this and this to me. You tell all your friends and you complain. But what you want to do is free yourself from that and say, what's really bothering me? Maybe it's not politically correct, but it's, I feel rejected. I feel abandoned. The person's not there for me. So rather than speak to the person about what's really bothering you, you attack them back. And that leads to further and further conflict. This week we had the Day of Atonement. Right. And in that tradition... In Jewish tradition, you're supposed to ask forgiveness from people you have wronged. What about that side of it? It's very healthy and healing to do that. And it, it, it frees you and it enables a relationship to, to move on. Because if you wrong someone, they're on the other end of wanting revenge. So as long as you don't ask forgiveness, they're going to keep reviewing and ruminating over what you did to them that they feel wrong. Because ultimately, a person feels that their dignity has been stolen. And so when you acknowledge that, that you did them wrong, it corrects the imbalance and they feel... Uh, respected, and they feel their dignity has been renewed. And so it's actually very freeing Mm -hmm. if you're able to do it. And what are the obstacles to doing it? Most people don't think they were the wrong, they were the wronging party. Right, that's right, yeah. Well, you know, again, it comes down to, and that's what psychotherapy is about, is coming down to owning your truth, you know, about what really happened. And so if you approach someone and say, and do some work yourself so that you're ready to do it, um, and you ask for forgiveness, then you can start a discussion because it's almost saying, I acknowledge that I did you wrong. The person now no longer is on the defensive anymore because you've acknowledged and validated them and they feel respected. And then you can then speak your truth and say in a a collegial way, well, actually, um, I I do ask forgiveness, but, you know, there's stuff that was going on for me as well. I'd really like to talk to you about it. But the person is going to be open. So someone has to take the high road when it comes to forgiveness. And it's uh, it's very powerful. One of the things that, always drives me nuts. Uh, Seems like the modern day apology is, I'm sorry you feel that way. Right. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's actually a really good point because um, you're not validating the person. And really, again, in psychotherapy, and I really focus on that, is that we all want to be validated. And so that would be like a, an ins- insincere acknowledgement. If a person feels that way, then they have reason to. So your next question would be, uh, tell me why you feel that way. Because you have to realize people distort reality. So someone can do something innocently and someone will take it the wrong way. So you want to really ultimately open up a discussion where you can, you can work through the, the problem. And then, you know, the same as in all negotiation, it's then I'd like to now express how it was for me. And then you work out a win-win. How hard is it to get to that? A lot of people really avoid not just confrontation, but conversations like that. Well, that's actually a very good point. Uh, people avoid dealing with the truth. And um, what you have to understand is like, what's in it for me to open up this discussion is that ultimately you're going to free yourself. The real key to forgiveness, it's not just wanting to forgive, is um, forgiving yourself. Because the reason why um, it's about forgiving others, but we end up automatically blaming ourselves when someone does us wrong. So even though publicly someone has hurt you and they're ostensibly, you know, whether it's abuse or they said something wrong to you, the self feels that that um, I'm worthy of it. Now, you're not going to admit it in public. It's not politically correct. But deep down, the subconscious mind is dwelling on this. And so when you don't forgive yourself, you won't forgive someone else. So it's really important to forgive yourself and to look at that. And I just I'll give a really quick tip on that that's incredibly powerful is to um, think about what the person's motives were when they did what they did and look at the situation in context to uh, what was going on in their life. And I cannot tell you how many people have healed just with this technique. It's unbelievably powerful. It really shifts everything because we, at that point, you don't feel that you're responsible for that. You don't take the blame for that. It frees you and say, geez, it's really not my fault. I didn't do anything wrong. And that's when you could be, you know, open to forgiveness. But you free yourself when you understand what was going on for them. You might not like it, and it's really important for people to understand that when you forgive, it doesn't mean that you like them. What they did is acceptable. The goal in forgiveness is to free yourself from events that were beyond your control so that you could move forward and make peace with it. Okay, I think that's a good note to wrap things up on. Great, Andrea, thank you so much. Thank you. I've been talking with psychotherapist Andrea Moses. Her latest book is Transform Your Life Now. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, we'll have music featuring one of Canada's most iconic rock and roll guitarists. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. It's time for your International Arts Date Book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, Kathleen Turner stars in a play about transgender identity. 61-year-old Turner is the star of films like Prizzy's Honor and Romancing the Stone with Michael Douglas. Turner plays the mother of a woman considering gender reassignment surgery. Would You Still Love Me is at New World Stages. In Los Angeles, the new Contemporary Art Museum is now open and admission is free. The $140 million institution showcases the priceless collection of billionaire philanthropist Eli Broad. Andy Warhol is among the artists whose work is displayed. 
to London, England, where Mr. Foote's other leg is described as a wild and wildly funny backstage comedy. It's at the Hampstead Theatre. And in Munich, the annual Oktoberfest is underway. Some six million visitors are arriving to take in the festivities. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. This weekend, rock guru Randy Bachman is celebrating his 72nd birthday. He's famous for his abilities on a guitar, but his musical education actually began with the violin. He took lessons at the Royal Conservatory of Music until he was 12 years old, but quit after getting fed up with the rigid structure. It wasn't until he was 15, after watching Elvis Presley on television, that he bought his first guitar. He was then fortunate enough to take lessons with the incredibly talented jazz guitar guitarist Lenny Bro. Needless to say, they paid off. Bachman went on to have an incredible career as a musician, first as the lead guitarist for the Guess Who, and then with Bachman Turner Overdrive. Right now, we'll hear from his first band, the Guess Who. This is without question their biggest hit, the only song of theirs that reached the top of the U.S. Billboard charts, American Woman. That was the Guess Who with American Woman. Guitarist Randy Bachman is celebrating his 72nd birthday this weekend. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Weekend Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer Moses Snymer. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program Director, John Vandria. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.